Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is July the 20th, 2020. This is episode 2692 of the Survival Podcast. And today's episode is called something that might trigger a few people, because they don't like to be told what they are without self-identifying of it. And they certainly don't like to be told what they are if they don't understand the word, or in some cases, maybe don't even know the word. I bet you most people that listen to the show have heard this word before and have some understanding of what it is at least. But I, I also know this show gets shared with people who are not regular listeners all the time. So the word I'm about to give you, especially if someone said, hey, you might want to check this show out, might trigger you. I don't give trigger warnings for the same reason they do on college campuses. I do it for my own amusement. Anyway, um, today's show... Episode 2692 is called Almost Everyone is Already an Agorist. And this is a survival topic. Sometime when I break into like things like libertarianism, agorism, anarchism, or whatever, I'll get the question, how is this a survival topic? Today's subject is one of the most important modern survival topics that we could cover. And it's something we haven't covered in a while. And it's something we really need to dig deeply into. And it is one of the things that if you have been practicing agorism consciously because you I'm going to tell you again almost everyone is already an agorist when I when I have this discussion with you today I'm going to say if you have ever done and I'm going to give you a whole bunch of things and at least some of those things you're going to be yeah I did that and and I'm going to say and if you don't think you were a bad horrible person for doing it then you were practicing agorism and clearly you endorsed the behavior and then you're not going to be able to argue the point back you're not Right? And you're going to hear that agorism today differs in many ways from systems that we would maybe talk about and say, I'm an agorist, or I believe in agorism wouldn't even really be a thing. It's like, I've identified agorism. To say you believe in agorism is kind of like saying you believe in photosynthesis. We've identified the process that is photosynthesis. We don't. There's no faith required to look at plants and their biology and how they work and say they are photosynthetic organisms. We, we may not know everything about photosynthesis. Some of the things we think we know about it, we might be wrong about because science is never settled no matter what it is. But we have a really good understanding of a process that we have chosen to call photosynthesis is how plants use sunlight and produce food for themselves and are able to reproduce and, and do all the things that plants do and release oxygen in their, in their process so that we have more oxygen to breathe. We know how that works. We don't believe in it. We know enough about it to define it. That's how agorism, agorism is not a system. I had a commenter on a video I put out today. It's a system that like, you're already wrong. Like anything you say after that, you're wrong, because it's not a system. It's a thing. And when you, so you are at some point in your life, you have, you were, and you will again practice agorism. But when you take it and you understand it for what it is, much like we understand photosynthesis, and you then consciously apply the knowledge, it's very powerful. 
And in doing so, you can be much more resilient. And it, it's, it's not defeating the state by selling tacos out of your apartment. It's not what it is. But it is. But it's not what it is. But it is. How the hell does that make any sense? It will, when I get to it, let's start out with uh, our two sponsors today. Sponsor day number one today is Safe Castle Royal, the original survival podcast sponsor. I say that because they've been with us now well over 11 years. Uh, Vic Rontala founded Safe Castle, and I think I was about two months into doing the show when he asked to be a sponsor. I didn't take him on until uh, about four months later when the show got big enough to have enough audience to actually warrant taking a sponsor's money. But, I mean, they have been here literally almost since the beginning. They have everything for your prepping needs. Check them out today at safecastle.com. Next up, not quite that long, but, a, I mean, it was maybe three or four months down the road after we took on Safe Castle that Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason, said, hey, I want to sponsor the show. So, you know, you're looking over 11 years. 11 years of loyal sponsorship in the world, world of podcasting from Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason. And, you know, water is fundamental to life. We'll even talk about that a little bit today with this video that I did that I think you're going to want to check out and how a backyard pond applies to agorism. But as much as I love my little backyard pond, I, 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 I don't want to drink the water out of it, not unless it was filtered and sanitized. Water is life, but the wrong water in your body can kill you. And the number one way that people die in natural disasters in the world is not during the disaster. It's in the aftermath of the disaster, the number one killer. It sounds pretty mundane and gross, but it's true. It's diarrhea. And disease spread by diarrhea that makes the whole thing worse. And the number one reason it happens? People don't have access to good quality clean water. So you want a Berkey system for if times get tough, but I use my Berkey all the time. And if you get it, your water will taste great. And especially if you're on tap water, I mean, at least I'm on a well. Those of you that are on city water, you really want for your health, in my opinion, you get a Berkey. And why would you get a Berkey from anybody other than the loyal Berkey guy who has sponsored us? For 11 years and gives you some of the best pricing and service you'll get in the industry. Check him out today at his website, directive21.com. All right, with that, let's let's start digging into this today. Um, I want to start out with a quote of the day. And so I was like, I went to Google because a lot of times I'm doing a show on a topic and I'll put in, you know, if I'm going to do a, a show on capitalism, I would put in capitalist quotes, right? If I was going to do a show, uh, on preparedness. I mean, I put in preparedness quotes. So I went and put agorist quotes. Not a whole lot came up. So I'm like, I know. Sitting on my uh, my porcelain throne in my uh, my personal office, a secondary office, the bathroom, is a little book that I occasionally just kind of read through when I'm, you know, morning office time. And there's a few little books there, but one is a book called An Agorist Primer, by Samuel Edward Konkin III. And I really recommend this book, along with his other book, A New Libertarian Manifesto, links in the show notes today, to everybody that actually says they care about liberty. Whether you think agorism is a thing or not, or whatever, I don't care. I, I recommend you read this book and, and, and enlighten yourself. And I opened it up, just kind of opened it up to the middle, as I'm fond of doing with books, and I started reading uh, an individual page. It was like a second, second sentence in the paragraph. And I was like, that's perfect. Even though it doesn't seem like it's directly related to agorism. But here's what it's, and it really applies a lot to right now with the hysteria going on around COVID and many other things. He said, be careful. Some people get very irritable when challenged by someone who knows what they're talking about. That has a lot to do with agorism because 
we live in a world in an age today, and, and like I said, this comment this guy left me on YouTube with this video I put out today just shows how much this is true. That any time we identify something as an ism, it gets lumped in with all the other isms. And I think what we tend to do is we forget that an ism is what we make of it. And it can be a thing that we identify, or it can be a system that we create and impose upon others, or impose upon an environment, or impose in a way. But ism comes from ist, right? That's, that's, that's really, so if you are a survivalist, then you practice survivalism. Survivalism is not a system. There's no survivalism system. In other words, there's no place where you go and go, well, what kind of country this is? We practice survivalism. Survivalism is actually something that all beings that don't let themselves easily be taken out and killed and destroyed are practicing. It's a thing you identify. Now, once you become conscious of it, then you can practice it to a greater degree, and it's more powerful. But everybody is a survivalist, because ist right, is, is, is a suffix that identifies it as to specialize in. So survivalist means to specialize in surviving. So, and then there's varying degrees. Well, how well is one capable of doing that? But if you are simply in the road and you look down the road and you see a car coming at a high rate of speed, and even though as a pedestrian you're, you have a right to that shoulder that you're on, if that car seems to be moving erratically, what do you do? If you're not a moron... You get further off the road, even even to the point of what might be considered ridiculous. Like, like if I have to go into the ditch and get muddy and dirty, I will, because even though that jackass is wrong, if he hits me with a car, I'm going to die, and I don't want to die. So now you have just become one who specializes in continuing to exist or to survive. Therefore, you're a survivalist. So Agora is just the market. That's all it is. It's a, it's a word... From the Greek language and the Agora, it was just simply, if you said, I'm going to the Agora, it would be like saying you're going to the market. And the Agora was like in the center of the town. There was this big place where everybody got together and exchanged stuff. So how that actually fits Mr. Conkin's quote of some people getting very irritable when challenged by someone who knows what they're talking about, once you know what Agorism is and you're able to explain it, it is quite challenging and irritable to some who maybe do not. This is what this tool said to me on uh, Facebook. I'm sorry, uh, YouTube. So I put a little 25-minute video of me sitting at my little garden pond, and I explained all the ways that you could actually monetize a little garden pond. We'll talk more about that a bit. But a really great video. It was so great. Uh, and I don't like to like pat my like, I did such a good job. But it was. It was a great. Like, when you get done with something and you did a real good job, you know, like, I, I nailed this. I thought I did pretty good. But what told me I did a great job, for sure, is somebody else. Mark Shepard shared it on Facebook and said, this is, this is, this, Jack nails it. This is the economics of regenerative agriculture practiced at a backyard scale. So I know he did a great job, but he didn't think so, this other guy. Here's what he said. Um, Agorism is a system that permits parents to sell their children. Okay, so let's stop with even that. Agorism is a system. Ant, wrong answer. Regorism is not a system. No more than photosynthesis is a system. And the way you're using the term system, it can be described as a system, but it's not a system that's imposed. 
right? And that's what he's saying. That permits parents to sell their children or to leave them to starve. That's going to be a yikes from me, dog, D-A-W-G. Also, anarchism has always been anti-capitalist, anti-private property, and even Murray Rothbard agrees with the fact. Well, the fact that anybody agrees with something is not a case point of proof. And I won't even go to the anarchism thing because I wasn't talking about anarchism today. I said that many people associate agorism with anarchism, but agorism is really just something we identify. It's something we uncover, and it's a natural behavior in human beings. It, it, is, it is like if I identified um, the, the trait that human beings seek to survive, and you said, well, that's justifying killing other people. Well, it depends. Like, generally speaking, killing other people is not a great way to survive. It usually results in somebody killing you or your incarceration or being severely harmed. Like, it's not a good strategy to survive unless somebody's trying to kill you with a knife and you kill them so they don't kill you. Well, then it becomes somewhat imperative. So we have to look at agorism the same way. And I want to, as we go into this, I want to remind you guys, if you want to learn more about agorism, we're doing a new agorist podcast. And it's not really agor all agorism all the time, but we're coming from an agorist perspective, a group of people who specialize in understanding and harnessing the market. See, that's what an agorist is. An agorist is not like a capitalist, right? When you, when you talk about it as an ideology, right? I, th 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 that, that is a totally different thing. It's almost like talking about it as though you're a Catholic, like the system I have chosen to identify myself with. An agorist does not identify themselves as an agorist. They simply accept that there is an agora, there is a market, and I specialize in how it functions, This tends to really upset some people. Anyway, I'm loose the goose. Um, I brought this group of podcasters together. Counting myself, we have seven strong now. These amazing people, Nicole Sauce, Vin Armani, uh, Xavier Hawk, uh, Curtis Stone, uh, Pete Quinones. Uh, uh, I'm missing some other folks right now, but uh, John Bush. Uh, just a great group of people. Um, Come check us out. We're going to be, we'll, we'll be probably dropping our, uh, our newest episode on Wednesday. We're going to be recording it tomorrow night at 7.30. We're going to be talking about groups, how to put together things like John Bush calls us freedom cells. But we're going to expand that way beyond you know, your little group that you think of in the most conventional sense and how to create groups of groups within groups. It's going to be really cool. We even might revisit the concept of virtual nations a little bit. And a lot of Agorist content will come in there. So if you're not a subscriber yet to Unloose the Goose, come find us. We're on Stitcher, we're on iTunes, we're on most of the podcast services now. You can just look up Unloose the Goose. And I really could use some of you guys that have blogs and stuff. If you could just link to UnlooseTheGoose.com and highlight the words Agorist Podcast and link those words to us, that would help us. Anyway, so let's... Again, talk about what is Agorism in the most basic sense. And instead of What I've already done, which is try to show you how to identify it, I mean, what actions would you say are agorist in nature? Like, what, what would a person do that you would look at and say, ah, oh, that's agorism in action? So if you've ever worked for money under the table, then you practiced agorism. If you've ever done anything and engaged with anybody with no third-party mandates or interference in any way that you would con consider a form of trade, whether it's money or materials, it doesn't matter, that was an agorist action. Agora, again, simply means market. That's all that it means. 
And understanding that if it, that instead of saying an agorist wants a market independent of regulations in the state, what agorists really do is identify that there have always been and there will always be markets independent of the state and the state systems that it's impossible to get rid of. There's no way to get rid of it. It will never go away. In fact, the more the state does to interfere with the market, the more agora true free markets will turn up. And I know that seems counterintuitive, but so many things that people do of, let's think of something that's truly illegal, right? Because it would be an agorist activity anyway. Selling illegal drugs is an example of an agorist activity. And you can, sub, you can say that's bad, that's good, you're indifferent to it, you're agnostic to it. It doesn't really matter. Just, just as you know, making cookies and selling them to your friends is an agorist activity, so is selling illegal drugs. And you might be like, well, one's okay, the other one's not. It's irrelevant to what it is, because we've already identified what it is. It is the market acting independent or in confluence with or in reaction to third-party intervention. It's just the free market. And the tighter the government is on suppressing the sale of a particular drug, the more valuable the market for those who can trade that commodity becomes. If, if, if you legalized all drugs, something that many libertarians, anarchists, etc. Uh, espouse the virtues of, then there wouldn't actually be that much of a high dollar market in the world of selling it. The only reason you can get a lot of money for heroin is it's illegal. If it wasn't illegal, it would be incredibly cheap. Or the only reason a commodity that might become very expensive is because it's even if it's legal, it's heavily regulated. So if you look at the cost of, of cannabis in a market where it's now largely legal, it's artificially inflated by all the regulations that a cannabis distributor has to fulfill in order to not go to prison. Which means the person who thought, hey man, I grow like five plants in my closet, um, and I sell to my friends and family, and when they legalize this stuff, I'm going to be out of business, their business might be better than ever. Because they've now moved from a true black market, i.e. selling a product that's illegal, and then they've moved into a gray market, illegally selling a legal product. And that's actually expanded their market and limited their risk. If the state's making it artificially inflated by, let's say, twice what it should be selling at, at a standard value for what it is, then that person can sell at that standard value and be 50% under the state. Now, this is not an advocation for selling cannabis out of your closet. This is simply identifying what happens, right? As an agorist, right, one who specializes in the market, It's not an advocation for anything. It's an identification of, of natural human behavior. There is a demand for cannabis. The state has made cannabis more legal than before. Has it made it legal? It's, made, it's not made it completely decriminalized. It's created a channel that it gets to partake in and take money from. It gets to tax and regulate and charge fees for. And it attempts to control the size of that market and how that market distributes. Humans... Being humans don't like to be told you have to pay more for something than it's worth if you're going to have it 
because we said so. So some portion of humans go, nah, I'm going to go to Billy. Billy's always been the place I get my cannabis, and I like Billy, and I trust Billy. Well, Billy now is told by Lucida State of California, I know it's four or six plants, right, that he can legally grow. They come out of the closet, and he grows them in his, his kitchen or his sunroom or whatever, because now it's legal for him to grow. It's legal for him to possess up to a certain quantity. The only thing not legal is the transference of his product to another person. And if I'm, I don't know the law in California, but I, I honestly think that transference is only illegal if it's for money. I don't think there's anything that permits Billy from, like, Tommy comes over and Billy and Tommy sit down and burn a blunt together. I don't think there's anything about that that's illegal under recreational use and home growing of, of cannabis in, in California. So what happens if there happens to be an exchange of money, but it's not directly, it's almost impossible to prosecute at this point. Unless Billy's stupid in advertising on Facebook that you can get cannabis from him for half the price. But if he's an agorist, right, an agorist has nothing to do with whether or not he partakes in cannabis or grows it. And agorist means he understands the market, so he evaluates the market, and he says, this is the way I can do business in this market, in the gray side of the agorist flag versus the black side. If you ever wonder why black and gray are on the agorist flag, because the overlap of the black and the gray markets, where I become very difficult to prosecute, and if I'm caught, my consequences are extremely mitigated. Now, that is the same formula that a person that says, two days a week, I'm going to make a shitload of tacos and settle them to my friends and family in violation of food ordinances. It's the same calculation, and it's the same behavior. Yes, the person that eats the taco is not in the same light morally to some other people with the person that burns cannabis and inhales the smoke. Okay? I, I get that. In general, society pretty much does not have a negative view of a person simply because they consume tacos on Tuesday. But you're still operating outside of that system. And then you, as an agorist, you specialize in understanding the market. And you know the motivation that gets Billy to buy your tacos. Maybe because he smoked a lot of cannabis and he's just really hungry and it's opportune and available. Or maybe it's because you provide a better product with a better service, i.e. you drop them off every Tuesday afternoon at, at people's houses, And, and the guy making the tacos realizes if I try to become as big as Taco Bell, I have to play in their system and I don't want to. So he keeps his little side income, something that makes him a couple hundred dollars a week. He's specializing in the market by identifying a human behavior. It's not, see, again, it's not an ideology. And let's just take a step back before I go into really understanding how you all probably already an agorist if you don't already see it. Most of you already do now. But the state fears agorism more than any other form of activism. There's nothing they actually crack down on more unless you're smart about the way you operate in the space. So if you look at the way they attack, let's say, the drug trade, they attack it because it's an agorist space, because it is directly subversive to their system of control. It's a protection racket for the pharmaceutical industry. Can't have people self-medicating. Even if they're doing it poorly, you still can't have it. Well, they're trying to save lives. Do you really believe that? If, if our government was trying to save lives, 
we wouldn't have soldiers in Afghanistan right now guarding poppy fields. And if you think that's a conspiracy, talk to a soldier that's been deployed to Afghanistan. It's not a conspiracy theory. They, they'll tell you. I guarded, I, I've talked to dozens of people that went on multiple deployments into Afghanistan that guarded poppy fields. Now, do you think that so people can get poppy seed roll? Do you really? So they're not trying to save lives. They're trying to implement a system of control. And Agora is the natural response of humans because we don't want to be controlled. We very much do, especially in our groups, as we get really large and we get offended by hearing something we don't like, we very much want other people controlled so that they'll do the things we think they should But we don't want to be controlled. Any group of people, you start telling them they can't do something that up until now they've done, they don't like it. If there's another group of people and they've always done a thing and it's not hurting the first group of people, but the first group of people doesn't like it, they're all about a system that can be implemented to stop it. When you come at this with an agorist mindset, you just simply accept the fact that it will never stop. It will never stop. And what piece of it you choose to engage in is up to you. Right? I mean, and this, that's very dangerous to the state because it's, it's something they cannot stop. They've never been able to stop and they never will be able to stop. And I would just say to you, if you look at places like, you want to think about totalitarian for a state. Think about the Soviet Union, USSR in the 1980s. USSR in the 1980s. You could be, in fact, 1960s, 1970s, right? Even worse before it started to turn, because it started to fall apart. It didn't work well enough. It started to break down under its own weight. 60s and 70s, I mean, you could be carted off to a gulag or worse for violating anything, for saying the wrong thing. And yet, if you needed a taxi in Moscow, and you stood on the side of the road and you started waving at taxis, a lot of them, because, hey, you paid the same. That's how taxis work in a, in, in a communist state. They get paid to be there. Sorry, it's the way it worked. So I, I don't care. Guy's waving at me. He looks like an American. What a dumbass. Hold up a pack of Marlboros. And whether that driver was a smoker or not, pulled over. Boom. Hold up a pair of Levi's jeans. Boom. Go anywhere you want for a pair of Levi's and a pack of Marlboros in 1984 in the USSR with a taxi. Absolutely. Saw it on, saw it on 2020. One of John Stossel's reports back then. Remember it very clearly. So if the Soviet Union couldn't shut down the Agora, if China today can't shut down the Agora, and it's not that they don't ever make examples of people or put people in prison, that's what I'm saying. They have never been able to succeed. In fact, the fact that they do come after people for various Agorist activities, including as light as selling tacos out of their kitchen, tells you how much they fear it. And it's all back to protection to the artificial gilded market created within the state's system. The state says we need all these things to make sure you're safe and to make all this bullshit. And the Agora says, nah. And this cannot be stopped. It can be harassed. It can be manipulated. But the true Agorist, because ist again does not mean I believe in a thing. It means I specialize in a thing looks at whatever the state does, what other other market forces do, not just the ones put in place through the use of force, looks at the totality of the market and says, what do I most have to offer in the most effective way to most benefit myself and the people I do business with? 
on a very small scale, a mid-scale, a large scale. Even operating in their system does mean, not mean you're not an agorist. We'll get to that in a second. Here's some examples of, of agorism. Let's say that you run a poker night at your house. How many of you guys out there have ever played poker for money with your friends? Okay. Did they have a license from their state to run a gambling operation? That's a highly illegal activity. But see, what happened is since you don't really care if people gamble, you didn't care that it was illegal, and most people didn't care either. I knew a guy that used to run a poker night, actually multiple poker nights, in Minersville, Pennsylvania. And plenty of the Minersville police officers knew that. He, they didn't care. He was also a bookie. He took action on sporting events, football games, basketball games, stuff like that. And nobody cared. Nobody cared. And, I mean, it wasn't a secret. You want to put $100 bucks on the game? Call Ronnie. He even sold drugs. Nobody cared. Until he broke one of the primary rules of agorism in that sector, and is he stopped selling only to people he knew. The number of cars at his house continued to grow exponentially. Strangers came into the mix. Drugs started going into the hand of younger teenagers that could be traced back to him. And then Minersville PD, who had looked the other way for 15 years, threw his ass in state prison for two and a half years. See? He stopped following, specializing in, and he got sloppy. So he got the smackdown. So you might think, well, good for him. He shouldn't be selling drugs to kids. I actually don't think anybody should be selling drugs to kids. I agree with the fact that that's a bad idea. But you didn't object to the fact that he was running a poker night, did you? Especially if you've ever, you know, how about this? When you were in high school, was there some kid, in this case it was a different Ron, that used to run like a pool around like the, 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 um, the basketball tournament, the NCAA basketball tournament? Where you drew lots and you got to pick teams and somebody or you know a football pool or something like that. That's agorism. That's agorism. When I was a kid, um, something got real popular around us was uh, cinnamon toothpicks, and they were like ten shitty little cinnamon toothpicks for a quarter in a package. And my dad told me that's just toothpicks soaked in cinnamon oil. It's like really. So I got the good toothpicks, you know, the round ones that actually lasted a while when you were chewing on them and picking your teeth with them and stuff. Soaked them in cinnamon oil. And I started selling like 20 of those for the same quarter, and they were costing me like two cents to make them. That was agorism. Running a food service from your kitchen is agorism. Whether you're doing it in a way like you're making like chutneys and stuff like that and selling them at a local farmer's market for cash, or if you're doing the Taco Tuesday thing where you have like 10 different people that you deliver tacos to, it's agorism. You make mead or wine or even a little bit of moonshine? You ever sell it to a friend? It's agorism. Anytime you worked under the table where somebody paid you cash and you didn't pay taxes on it, it was agorism. When you work above the table fully by choice, not out of fear. So if it's not, well, I'm going to do this because if I don't, they'll come get me. Well, then that's responding to the fear. And that's not necessarily, that's not a judgment. In some instances, boy, are you right. No, you shouldn't do it the other way. And yes, they will come and prosecute you, so don't do it. But when you could, but you strategically say, hey, I want to put this business, let's say, above the table, whatever it is, whether it's direct work for somebody else or whether it's uh, selling a product or a service, so that I can acquire credit. 
so that I can actually lose money on paper with it so I can deduct it. So that I can have this thing that I want. It's agorism. When you blend what you do to some businesses on the table, some is above the table, and some is under the table, it's agorism. No matter how you do it for what. Training any item or service for any other um, of said same is agorism. So any form of private barter. doesn't have to be for cash. You and your neighbor both have a big tree in your backyard. Yours makes apples, theirs makes pears. Every year you have more apples than you can use and they have more pears than you can, they can use. And you exchange those. According to the Internal Revenue Service, whether you knew it or not, both of you are supposed to report it as income for the value of what was received regardless of the value of what was traded. In other words, if I give you $10 worth of apples for $10 worth of pears, in any net transaction that you looked at that way, it should be a zero sum. That's not what the IRS says. Let's say that I gave you $10, you know, a bill for $10 worth of apples. Well, you would say, if you were reading to the letter of law, well, it makes perfect sense that you've received money. You received $10 in value in the form of a, a bill, right? So that's $10 in revenue. Now, if you have a cost of the apples that you can somehow show, then you can write off the expense on the other end. How much did it cost you to produce 10 apples? You see, it gets stupid, though, but that's, that's how it works. So when I give you the $10 worth of apples for the pears, the IRS sees it the same as if I gave you $10 in $1 bills, $10 in quarters, $10 in fish out of my pond. It's all the same to the IRS. You're supposed to report it and pay taxes. Would you? No. Okay, then that's agorism. Anything where you're buying or selling where it's by free will, 100% on the two parties involved, is agorism. If both of you are completely willing to engage in the transaction, and you're doing so of your own free will, with no force or coercion from any third party in either that you do it, or how you do it, or in what the results of it are, it's agorism. Now, do you understand then why I say almost everybody is an agorist? I grew up in central Pennsylvania in the 1980s and north Florida in the 1970s, most of the 70s and then most of the 80s in, in Pennsylvania. When I moved to Pennsylvania, I was surrounded by very working class northeastern Democrats. People always think I must have been brought up by Ann Rand or something. My family, to this day, is very liberal in the, in the sense that liberals were liberals in, in the 70s, 80s, 60s. A lot of you have asked why I'm why my legal name is John, but I'm called Jack, right? Well, sometimes when things are done when you're a child, it just sticks with you, and that's that's how it came for me. So I don't I don't tie it back to this. But the reason that I am John called Jack is my father was John called Jack. So my father was named John because they just did that, and then along came John Fitzgerald Kennedy, and everybody called him Jack Kennedy. John and Jack are the same name. They come from the same root. It means son of thunder. And then my grandparents, my dad's parents, who thought JFK was the second coming, started calling their son Jack. So when I was born, I was called Jack. I was also called JJ, Jack Jr., or John Jr., take your pick, or John Jack. So that's I am called Jack 
because my my grandparents had such an affinity for John Fitzgerald Kennedy. That's as liberal as it gets. And I was surrounded by this as a child, especially as a young teen. And when I got my job working at the junkyard for a guy named Muskrat Purcell, real name, can't make that shit up, and he was paying me under the table. The same people who were these working class, pro-union, Democrats, blah, 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 would say, you work for Muskrat now? Yeah. Is he paying you under the table? Yeah, good boy. And they slapped me on the arm, good boy. Save that money. Keep it away from those dirty government people. Wait a minute. You're for all this government shit, but you're for me working under the table. Do you know what that was? That wasn't always just a kid, so it's okay. They would have done it too. They would have done it too. In fact, most of them did. Most people that I grew up with when I was in my teens, and you're talking like the adults around you in their 40s, all of them had side hustles. It wasn't the gig economy we have today. It was this guy really knows motors. So if your lawnmower was jacked up, you know, Andy could come over and fix your lawnmower. And Andy would fix your lawnmower. And either Andy would be given a couple cases of beer or 20 bucks. Because he saved you 40 bucks. So giving him 20 to save you 40 made sense. Andy didn't pay tax on that. No one thought Andy should pay tax on that. The guy that gave him the money didn't think that Andy should pay tax. And Andy's a real person too, by the way. Buddy Shoemaker, I'm talking about, I've talked about before, made wine. The way Buddy Shoemaker made wine, he made it for my grandfather every year. We had a huge grapevine of these old grapes. I mean, those vines had to be 70 years old when I was a kid. And my grandfather taught me how to prune those vines, how to take care of them, how to harvest the grapes. And every year I'd harvest a bunch of grapes. And I would give a bunch of them to my grandmother, and she would make grape juice, and she would make jelly. And that was for the family. We gave a lot of it away, never sold it. We weren't doing agorism there. But I would take two big sacks. They were so big, like I had to carry one sack and then go get another sack. Like, so like, when I say sacks, I'm talking like hefty bags, right? Like two hefty bags of grapes. I would carry them. And it was a good three-quarter mile walk up this steep-ass hill to Buddy's house. And I would give Buddy these two bags of grapes. And he would make wine out of them. Really good wine. And, you know, somewhere along the way, my, my grandmother and my grandfather say, Buddy's got Grandpa's wine. Go get it. See, so, you know, I go up and I bring these jugs of wine back down. Sometimes that was multiple trips because it was quite a bit of wine. Well, Buddy kept half the wine. That's agorism. That's agorism. Are you okay with that arrangement? If you're okay with that arrangement, you have no problem with the concept of agorism. Now, again, whether you have a problem with it or not does not take away from the fact that it's there. But if you have no problem with it, then maybe embracing it's not a terrible idea. Now, this was an alcoholic beverage. One buddy started doing this in the 60s and 70s, it was technically illegal to even make it. Do you think anybody cared? Agorism. Do you think if somebody had arrested Buddy for making wine, that there wouldn't have been a big problem for that person? That's also market forces at play. Certain things you don't mess with. The old man at the top of the hill that makes dandelion wine and grape wine and honey wine and raspberry wine for the whole town that everybody loves, you don't screw with that. Not if you don't want to end up lost in the woods naked somewhere, like happened to a certain game worn for a totally different reason at one point during my childhood. Okay, There are market forces in the world, and they work for good things and for bad things, but they are. And if you don't have a problem with all these things I'm talking about, or any of these things I'm talking about, then you have no problem with agorism and embracing it, and using it in your own life.
So here's why it's so powerful, though, and why many don't understand how powerful it is. The, the biggest voices against agorism that I've ever heard are not like our Looney Tune friend that popped up on my YouTube feed, probably because Mark Shepard shared it and he's some purple-breathing permaculturist that doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. It's not those people. Generally, the, the response I get to agorism from most people is, huh? Like, they don't even know what the word means. I mean, even if you say voluntarist instead of anarchist, when you're talking about anarchism, most people, if they've ever heard the term voluntarist, they can figure out what it means, like, voluntaryism. Okay, yeah, I get what that... Like, if you can't figure that out, you and Context Clue do not get along, right? You did really bad on your standardized testing if you can't make that connection. But if you don't know Greek, and you've never heard the word agora before, and I say agorism, huh? Well, what is that? So, the criticism I get is not generally from people that don't know what agorism is. It's people that think they do know what agorism is, and they're usually activists, and they're very much the people that should be the most embracing of agorism. They're liberty activists. They're anarchists. They're libertarians, small l. They're part libertarians, minarchists, or they're full libertarian anarchists. They're voluntarists. And they're generally people that think really big, and they're still thinking, fight the systems tear down that wall of the systems let's let's go to war with the system let's go to war with the state let's end the state okay you're not going to end the state just as there's always been an agora on some levels there will always be a state some people want a state and if you believe in freedom then it's okay for us to honor them by letting them have one please leave us alone and if you're not going to leave us alone then we are going to carefully design our lives to be as left alone as we can be We're going to put physical resistance at the end of our, of our timeline and our plan. That's the last case thing is physical resistance. Because it generally, usually doesn't work. So we're going to be strategic. That's why we're ist, specialized in the market. But most activists will say things like, well, you're, you're not going to... I've heard this one time, on, I think it was on Free Talk Live, right? Which is a radio show that's on out of New Hampshire. Um, You're not going to bring down the state by selling tacos out of your dorm room. Whoever said you were? You're not going to get everybody to sell tacos out of their dorm room. Whoever said that was the goal? See, you have to be focused on liberty first for yourself. And again, we have been so brainwashed and conditioned that even people are very much in the liberty market. When you say that, or the liberty space, when you say that, we'll have a, a visceral reaction even if they don't verbalize it like when you're face to face with them and you say it you can see it and it's not that you can read minds it's that you can read expressions and what they're thinking is that sounds so selfish that sounds so selfish this is a broader movement we're more concerned about liberty for everybody how the hell are you going to tell somebody how to be free if you're a slave the slaves that did the most to free slaves were slaves that escaped and seized upon their own freedom, and then tried to free the other slaves. Because can you imagine the slave sitting in some South Georgia cotton plantation, advocating for liberty? I mean, it's noble. I would think that person has a better understanding of slavery than a person that's never been a slave, for sure. I think they are highly motivated to advocate for freedom. Just how effective are they? How effective are they when they mostly willingly stayed put? 
Because they feared the repercussions of not staying put. Not because they wanted to. That was, the, that was the myth used to sell slavery as being okay. They want to be slaves. No, they didn't want you to track them down and beat the living shit out of them, possibly kill them, brand them a few more times, knock their teeth out, etc. Punish them, as an example. They didn't want that to happen to them. But the person that risked it, that calculated, I'm going to get away, and set up an avenue for others to get away, that's the person that moved the slaves toward liberty. That's what worked. Agorism, in many ways, works the same way. Eventually, the reason you see so much legalization of cannabis now is the state got greedy and said, we're never going to stop this. We've been lying to people. At least we can make the case that meth is bad, okay? Like, if you don't believe that methamphetamine is bad, is a thing. Like, no good comes from doing meth. If you don't believe that, then you're a moron. I don't want you put in jail for it. I don't want you to go to prison for it. If you want to use meth and destroy your life, I actually am okay with you destroying your life as long as we don't have to pay for you. And I'm even willing to expend my own resources voluntarily to help you get off it if you wake up to the fact that you need to. But I'm not going to advocate that it's not harmful. I generally think cannabis does almost no harm to anybody. Unless you want to be upset by it, you're probably not. So the state realizing this, and realizing most people knew this, and plenty of people at least know someone that smokes cannabis and don't do anything to help the state apprehend them, and like, we're not going to be able to stop this. That's where all this legalization came from. We'd like a piece of it. We want to control it. That's the role of the state. They want to take a piece of the action and control the action. That's what they do. And the Agora is understanding that no matter what they do, there are people that will operate at the edge of or outside of those systems all the time. And that means that it's the thing that any individual can pick the piece that fits within their moral code that they can do and choose to go do it and enrich themselves. And in the words of one of my mentors from the past, life is like a shit sandwich. The more bread you have the less shit you have to eat. And whether that money is a direct influx of capital, whether that money is the direct influence of, influx of resources so that you don't have to expend cash, or that, that influx is such a resource in such a way that now you get to not spend cash, doesn't matter. It's still agorism, and it's still what you can do. So the college student who sells tacos out of his dorm is not going to topple the cronies in D.C. on, on, on K, K Street, okay, the, the lobbyists. He's not. But what he is going to do is maybe fund a significant portion of his education and come out of college with none, no debt, or less debt. Is he now more free? Does debt make you free, or does debt make you a slave? See how that works? And most activists... When presented with agorism, are like they're thinking, we're going to take down the K Street lobbyists. No, you're not. No, you're not, because they're actually part of an agora as well. It's a market. And they will morph and they will fit into anything. So just as the type of agorism we're talking about today existed in the USSR, exists in China today, and exists right in your own backyard, and you're participating in it, Right? The concept that the wealthy will manipulate whatever government exists to their advantage is also a constant. 
And people, when you talk like that, they say, so you're surrendering. No, not the way you mean it. I am surrendering to reality. I am surrendering to reality. An example of reality is that if I go up on the roof of my house and I jump off the roof of my house, I'm either going to get hurt really bad or I'm going to die. I'm, I will surrender to that reality. Surrendering completely would be, well, humans will never be able to fly. So we would have no airplane, no gliders, no hot air balloons, no any other way that human beings have been able to defy gravity in one form or another through understanding gravity and aerodynamics, etc., and, and science and physics. So if you say... We are, see, actually, I think surrendering is when you, you lull yourself into the belief that actions that you take will bring an end to something when they never will. That's true surrendering. You've surrendered to actions that have no real impact or have limited impact that the people you're fighting will simply use to their own advantage. You get a movement in this country, the technocrats, the oligarchs, They just simply, once the movement gets to a certain size, they don't say, how do we stop this? They say, how do we channel this? How do we co-opt this? How do we make money with this? That's what they do. And I'm just suggesting that maybe in your own life, in your own ways, small, medium, or large, you choose the same thing. And most activists will never understand that. They'll never understand the simple, what would a hundred extra dollars a month mean to a person or a family? A hundred extra dollars a month in many instances, for a family that's at the edge of their life, their living, can prevent bankruptcies. It's, it's like a $100 a month shortfall that adds up cumulatively over time that destroys most people economically. Simply invested for the majority of your adult life, an extra $100 a month can add about a half a million dollars to your retirement with pretty conventional investments. If you start young enough... And wait till like 70 to retire? $100 a month can make you a millionaire. I mean, really, think about that. And if we take the $100 and we reinvest it, not into a mutual fund, but into the type of activities we're talking about so that it produces more and more for us. So if I need $200 to develop a system to produce my own poultry, right? And I, instead of taking my $200 I earned working for ABC Company, and through agorist activities, I earn $200 that I don't pay taxes on, which gives it the spending power of about $350, okay, for, for the effort in return. And I invest that into my poultry system, and my poultry system produces $1,000 a year of poultry for me every year, What's the ROI on that $200 that never happened and doesn't exist? Do you see how that works? So there's so many different ways something as simple as $100 can be reinvested. By the way, if you can earn $2,000 a month in 20 years with very conventional safe investments, you're a millionaire. Now, you might think $2,000 a month is a lot of money, Jack. And if you work for ABC Corporation for $65,000, $75,000, even $85,000 a year. And you pay for your house and everything out of your paycheck, and then they take taxes out of it. $2,000 a month is a lot. It's a lot. I understand that if you're taking it away from your income, to figure out how to earn it is not as hard as you think it is. 
There's so many ways to do it. I have a friend. His name's Chris. Some of you have met him. He's like into a million things. Chris Prater. I don't think he might have his last name going out. It's been a few workshops. haven't heard from him much for a while. Um, but one thing he does is he's a beekeeper. Unlike a lot of beekeepers who are big on giant apiaries and having honey and pressing and spinning honey. He gets some honey here and honey there. He makes bees. He makes bees. He makes nukes, which are how a beekeeper expands their colony with a new nuke, or a new beekeeper needs, I want five hives, I need five nukes. They their hives, they, they install these bees, and the bees start doing what bees do. So there's actually a really easy way, especially if you're not trophy hunting honey, to every year take a hive and split it and make two nukes from one hive and still have the core of the hive left. So I, if I have 50, I can make 100 nukes and still have 50 hives when it's all over with. I've lost nothing. And if I know how to do this, if I have a hive or two that goes down and keep a little bit of reserve, I can always backfill it and I can always add some more if I need some more because it's basically box building. And a lot of the things that other beekeepers do to um, to make their, their honey production operations really big and it takes time and labor, he doesn't do it. He just keeps bees. And every year, I don't remember how many, but he makes nukes. And he sells them in two weekends in a row. He puts out an advertisement on Craigslist and a few other local things and says, I will have, on this Saturday, 25 nukes or 50 nukes or whatever it is available. I will also have X amount available the next weekend. He's open Saturday only. People come to his house. They pay cash. They leave with their bees. He only really works heavily two weeks a year. He makes well over $20,000. That's, that's your $2,000 a month. One activity. He does lots of little activities like that. One activity. All he sells is the bees. Like he said, he gets some wax and some honey and stuff, but that's really like hobbyist shit. He doesn't really care. Let the bees have the honey. Then they can make more bees. He always said you can make bees or honey. I make bees because I make more money for less work. Agorism. So how much is often we often limit ourselves in saying, well, you know, I can make $100 a month, but $2,000? Well, what if you can make $24,000 in two weeks and not have to worry about it for the rest of the year? Or free up the rest of the year, take half of that $12,000, add it to your long-term savings, investments, retirement, and take the other $12,000 and invest it into systems for yourself that provide your needs. You know which one, we already discovered which one has the greater ROI. That's agorism. And so when people talk down agorism, I know they don't understand it. I know that they're not judging it for what it really is. They're judging it in a context of, but I want to fight the K Street lobbyists, or I want to fight Barack Obama, or I want to fight Donald Trump, or I want to fight the Republicans and the Democrats. I have some scheme that I want to get into the... So, Agorism is the opposite of running with the crowd, right? The crowd, the mob, wants to fight each other, so we have to take a side. We're back to the shit-flinging monkeys. If you have two groups of monkeys throwing and hurling shit at each other, I don't care which side you choose, you're going to get covered in shit. And your only game at that point is throwing shit back. That's all you got. Agorism is when you sidestep the shit-throwing contest, step outside of the shit-throwing contest and go, what can I sell to the monkeys? Maybe a shit catapult. I don't know. 
That could be metaphorical or maybe, I don't know, maybe a shit catapult would sell well today. Who the hell knows? Any liberty activist that's not first working on their own liberty is only fooling themselves. They're the person that tells you how important it really is. You install smoke alarms in your house. Now, we all know that's a good idea. I have smoke alarms in my house. I'm not saying it's not a good idea. But what would you say to your, your cousin, your uncle, your brother? He says, hey, you know what? You really need to get smoke alarms. Oh, okay, I will. And he goes, no, you need to get them right away. And then you have to go over to his house next weekend. And not only does he not have smoke alarms, he's literally got fire hazards all over his house. He's got like a whole bunch of oily rags in his garage that's attached to his house, and they're just laying up on top of his workbench instead of in a can where we put oily rags because they can spontaneously combust. He's got open cans of gasoline sitting next to the doorway between the house, right? He's got frayed wires hanging out of his ceiling, and he has a gas range stove, and the, the knobs don't really work very well. What would you say to that person when they say, hey, man, you need to get smoke alarms? Hey, man, your house is about to be bursting into flames while you tell me I need smoke alarms. And we understand that. How many people in the quote-unquote liberty movement have almost no liberty in their lives? And I'm not looking to put anybody out. I'm just saying, but like, is that really who you should listen to about how to have more freedom and liberty in the world? People who cannot even sculpt and create and design liberty into their backyard? Or might you say, it's not even about who I listen to. How about I, not me, Jack, you, you, I am going to sculpt liberty into my backyard. And I'm just saying agorism is probably one of the best ways to do it. And there's a very close relationship between all natural systems, regenerative agriculture, permaculture, and agorism. The entire 14th chapter of the Permaculture Designer's Manual is based on free trade between individuals by their own choice in the absence of the manipulation or in spite of the manipulation of the state. It's, it's an anarchy guide. It's an agorist guide. It has diagrams about how to create your own internal systems, even something called lets, which are basically where you print your own money through some sort of bill or receipt or something like that, so that within your group you can first exchange goods and services with your own currency versus using the currency of the state. And the only reason it doesn't say cryptocurrency is because it was written in the freaking early 1990s. If it had been written today, Bill Mollison would have said, e-lets, electronic lets, right? Crypto. Anytime you use cryptocurrency, you are an agorist. The end. Period. That doesn't mean you're a great agorist, like you're doing a really good job with it, but one way or another, as long as you're exchanging crypto instead of their currency, you're, you're writing out the bank. Jack, you're crazy if you think that's going to topple the system. I didn't say I wanted to topple the system. I want more liberty for me so I can be an example to you for how you can have more liberty for you. This is far more powerful than any counter-lobbying organization. It's far more powerful than anything else that you can do because, number one, it works. Number two, you can do it. Number three, your options are unlimited and limited, in, if any way, only by your creativity and your understanding and your willingness to act. Agorism really is a natural state for humans to operate in. And that's what I want to finish with today. I just, I just want you to think about it. 
any large gathering you've ever been to. Does not a market form. When you guys come here to the Survival Podcast Workshops, which we're still, for those who weren't wondering, we still plan on doing one this, this November. We'll have more details coming out on that starting in August, and you'll be able to register in September. Um, but we do barter blanket. It's one of the most popular things we do. People exchange items with each other. I'm pretty sure nobody fills out a tax form after that. But, okay, that's kind of like I started doing that. Like the second one, I'm like, hey, I remember this thing Ron Hood used to do. But that naturally occurred at Ron's things. Have you ever been to anything where you go to like a hotel or something for a convention and there's you know, 100 or 200 or 300 or more people there and you don't end up with some part of that where there's people with tables and stuff to sell and whether they're selling an actual product for money or they're selling ideas? Let me tell you about. I, selling ideas is as is, is, is much a market thing as is selling a thing. If you go to like a big jubilee or something like that, anything where you get enough people together, do you not end up with some sort of swap meet, flea market, something going on? Can you find me a major town, you know, even a small town of any size that doesn't have some sort of market that anybody can participate in? And sometimes the state has infiltrated it. But even, have you, don't you think that even like the swap meets and stuff like that, don't you think that they're, There's a, a huge portion of people that are participating and engaging there that are circumventing the state systems entirely. Do you really think the guy with you know a table with a whole bunch of knives and other random crap on it that sells money, most almost everything for cash, do you really think he's paying taxes on all of that? Or do you think if he is above board, don't you think he strategically designed it so that he's always losing money? Those guys, when you go to the gun show and you walk through the loophole, those few guys in those tables on the far wall that sell the personal firearms, right? Don't you think that's agorism? Like, and, and so it's not just I'm pointing out all these things. I'm just pointing out that like no one made that happen. The only thing that makes agorism happen more is the state creating the opportunity. But in the end, it's just human self-organizing. When you have something that people naturally do, that's cooperative and generally doesn't harm others, you're, you're, you're seeing a, a natural social behavior engaged in. That's what you're seeing. So the reason I think it's so powerful is you don't have to sell the idea. All you have to do is uncover the reality. So if you try to tell somebody, that, I just want you to think about these two different conversations which are really toward the same end. I want to convince my small government, Republican voting, small L, self-described libertarian, Fred, to become a voluntarist. I want to convince them that voluntarism is the way to go. All actions should be voluntary, minarchism is a fool's errand, all that stuff. right? And I want him to join the team. Team anarcho. Team voluntary. Okay, I'll sell him on that. Go ahead. Or I want to sell him on the concept of agorism. The true nature of the free market already existing and the fact that he's probably already participating in it. And if he was smart about how he's putting his life together, he could participate in it at a higher level, either as a vendor or as a customer. Which one of those conversations is easier to successfully have with your cousin, friend, uncle, college former roommate, whatever, right? Which one's easier? Which is the easier sell? The one that you have to actually get a person to think differently 
or the one where you just uncover for the person how they already think. And see, once you start down that path, this is another reason they're afraid of it. Once you start to understand the Agora, then everything else starts to fall into place. You start asking yourself, since all of this is possible, like, so let's say that I'm selling tacos on Tuesday. Okay. The state has told us that we need, number one, them to make sure we're safe. So you can come to my house and eat my tacos, and that's perfectly fine. But if I bring my tacos to your house, oh, that's perfectly fine. But if I bring my tacos to your house and I leave, that's perfectly fine. If I bring my tacos to your house and I leave and you eat the tacos, perfectly fine. If I leave the tacos but you give me money before I leave, now the tacos are dangerous. You see how dumb that is? That's retarded. It doesn't make any sense. But the person has believed that we need these systems to protect us and keep us safe. Forever. But if you make the argument, we don't need that system. You'll get resistance. You'll get our quote of the day. You'll get, some people get very irritable when challenged by someone who knows what they're talking about. Be careful there. Samuel Conkin. Right? I get very angry with you. But if you just point out, hey, you can get tacos from Tom and they're really good. Hey, you know what? You make really good tacos. If you made tacos, I'd, 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 I'd buy some of your tacos every week. I know some other people who... Now I don't have. Now that person starts because what you've done is you've in, uncovered and encouraged in an eight human behavior the trading of value for value between people. And a socialist will do this. A communist will do this. A Democrat will do this. A Republican will do this. A fascist will do this. This is not saying any of those things are good, bad, indifferent. Saying they're okay. This is just the truth. No matter where you went, Nazi Germany, there was agorism. Stalin's Russia, there was agorism. Today's United States with Trump, agorism. Yesterday's with Obama, agorism. Jimmy Carter's United States, agorism. Dwight Eisenhower's United States, agorism. George Washington, agorism. Thomas Jefferson, agorism. Middle of the Civil War, agorism. When has there not been agorism? If we understand it simply as the market that exists because people self-organize and trade value for value, independent of third-party coercion. So once that person engages in that, and they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, how did this happen? I have no recourse. If, Bill, if I go to Bill's house and give him the tacos, and Bill doesn't pay me, I can't go to the cops and say, Bill took the tacos and didn't pay me. Because the cops are going to say, What? What were you doing? Do you have a license to sell tacos? So I have no recourse other than I won't sell the bill again, and that's all I need. If, if, if occasional bills pop up and say, hey, man, thanks for bringing the tacos. I'm not paying you. Piss off. Okay? I'm not going to do business with Bill. Bill's going to get known as somebody that doesn't pay his bills. Ironic. And nobody's going to want to do business with Bill. Well, if that all takes care of itself, then why do I need you? First time a person uses Bitcoin, you're like, wow. First time, you know what else is agorism? Teaching your children with real homeschooling instead of the state-sponsored curriculum. That's agorism. That was what my, my wife did not struggle with the fact that we could do it physically, that it was possible. She struggled with the fact that I can, I can really do this, and I don't need somebody once a year, once a week, once a month from the state of Texas to go, 
Tick the box. You're good. No, you don't need that. What? It took 15 minutes of having it re-explained the same way before it all went in. I really have this freedom. I've always had this freedom, and I didn't know I had this freedom. That's agorism. Because now I'm replacing a market that was mandated but wasn't really with a voluntary association market. No one is going to make us use Excellus, Univers Excellus Academy. We've chosen them. Now, the transaction, the money, takes place within the conventional marketplace. I'm sure they have to pay income taxes. I'm sure they're pretty good with their accountants, though. And we're spending that money directly with them. And if they took crypto, I would pay them in crypto just to be twisting a knife. They don't. So we're choosing to operate that piece in what you would call the regulated market. But the actual act of learning is now in the unregulated market. You don't get any say. It's speed we move, how we do it, when we do it, where we do it. You get no say. Gorism. And if that's not natural, what is? If children learning from their families in their own homes is not a natural thing, what is? And that's why it's so powerful. You get people engaged in natural behavior, they like it, and they do more of it. As we wrap up, I want to give you the quick COVID minutes, might be COVID 30 seconds today. The moving the goalpost. This isn't an individual story of a lie or anything like that. Um, when I thought I'd heard it all for the goalpost moving. Remember, it started out, flatten the curve. Okay, let's flatten the curve. We'll all stay home to flatten the curve. The curve's flat. Oh, stay at home, save lives. So now nobody can die, and so you have to stay home. And then this and the masks and everything, it just, it just keeps going. And basically, it's all an ass covering, too. We just have to keep everything in society disrupted and ruined until we have a magical vaccine. And when I thought I heard it all, do you know what started popping up? And I guarantee you, you're going to start hearing more of this from the media. Muh, unknown long-term effects. Unknown long-term effects! Holy shit. Unknown long-term effects. Really? I told my wife I'm starting to hear that more and more. When people say, when you say, well, look, look at the death rates down, you know, Lots of cases, most of them are asymptomatic. We all know the unknown long-term effects. First words out of my wife's mouth, who is a retired nurse. Yeah, but the unknown long-term effects of a vaccine that they rushed into, into production, that's not worth worrying about. Yeah. Anyway, that's your latest one. That's your newest goalposts. Even the people that only get mildly sick or don't even know it, they might have unknown long-term effects. I think the effects, the long-term effects on the human brain of state-sponsored education at this point are well known. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with um, a reminder you can support this show by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. I got a really great item of the day for you today. I'm bringing it back for like the third time. I actually brought this to you while I was on vacation, and it's on a lightning sale again. This is the Anchor, and you guys all know I love Anchor for electronic products, Soundcore Q10 Bluetooth headphones. These are not technically noise-canceling headphones, but they sure as hell cancel some noise. So these are like a full-size, over-the-ear set of headphones. They're Bluetooth. They're amazing. They sell for $40, bucks, and they're a good deal. They're on the Lightning deal right now for $30. That's stupid cheap for these things. I've sold hundreds of these now in the two times they've been on sale. No complaints everybody loves them, and there's a lot to love. If you were, if they are totally dead, and it takes a lot to get them totally dead, but you charge them for five minutes, you'll get five hours of playtime. 
If you fully charge him, you get 60 hours of playtime. I have tested both of these claims. They are valid. I'm sure a $300 pair of Beats or whatever sounds better, but I'm not an audio snob, and if you're not either, you know, for listening to music, podcasts, whatever, they're awesome. Now, like I said, they're not technically marketed as noise-canceling. I have been listening to something, had like see my wife's mouth moving and know she's talking to me. Hit pause so there's no music, and I just have them, and I have to take, I still have to take them off my ear to understand her. So they are very noise-canceling to me anyway, which is nice, like when you're on an airplane for an extended period of time or when you're outside working in the garden or stuff like that. Just think about some situational awareness with them as well. You know, I'm just going to say that if you're pumping gas or something, probably not. I don't believe in listening to headphones while you're pumping gas, just for one example. Anyway, but for 30 bucks, man, these things are amazing. Check them out, and you can always help us out no matter what you buy if you do your online shopping at tspaz.com. With that, let's... Uh, also remind you, you can become a member of the site. You can go to survivalpodcast.com and click on Members. 50 bucks a year, you'll get a bunch of discounts. They'll pay for your membership, and you'll support the show. So the number one way we pay the bills around here, and I appreciate your business if you are a member or ever have been one, and please consider becoming a member today if you have not yet done so. Lastly, consider joining the mail list, the daily mail. Go to subscribe, fill out a form, one mail a day. You'll get some stuff you won't get anywhere else. It's all free. If you don't want it anymore, you click one link and unsubscribe. I don't share information. I actually get insulted when people ask me if I do. Because uh, why, why would I share my customers' information? The most valuable thing I have as a business person is my customers' information. Not only do I think it's morally wrong for me to share your information, in my own self-interest, I'm better off not doing it. That's, agorism is a lot about self-interest. Self-interest is not the bad thing they've convinced you that it is. There's a lot of good things you do that are for your own self-interest. So we teach children to do the right thing. It's also in their benefit to do so, right? Okay, anyway, let's about our song of the day today. And it really fits the show, uh, and it fits our quote of the day. I even dropped the, the title of the song. I don't know if you'll remember now, but I dropped it intentionally into the discussion. Running with the Crowd by the Charlie Daniels Band. This song, in a lot of ways, is very typical of country music, especially from the kind of the time that this came from. It's kind of the old cowboy's advice to the young cowboy about how to live life. Don't do these things. You know, if you get shot by the, the bullet, you, you know, any fight involves guns, neither side was right. And bullets kill forever. Sentiments like that. But also things like, you know, being good to every mother's son. Well, that means be good to everybody. Avoiding fights, etc. Like, just solid advice. But again, it's like handed down like one old cowboy to another old cowboy, a young cowboy, a group of young cowboys coming into some town back in the days of the old west. That's the the marketing, right? That's the the metaphor. It's the visualization. It fits the sound of Charlie and his music. But this really is not a song about advice from an old cowboy to young cowboys. This is a song about advice for life and how to live. There's a lot of songs like this that are out there in this genre of music. There really are. Tons of them. Probably do a week of songs that are in this if we wanted to. But what makes this one unique and different is there's a juxtaposition in it. You're almost not sure until the very end what he's really saying. Also easy to run with the crowd. Well, when you hear that and the advice he's given, it sounds like he's saying you, you probably shouldn't run with the crowd. But then he says it's a damn good bunch of cowboys can make a man feel proud. So the crowd is 
bunch of good guys. But at the very end, he says, so don't run with the crowd to clarify it. And if you think about that as a metaphor to today, pick either side of the mob and you're still running with the crowd. You're still part of the mob. You're still in the shit-throwing contest. Basically what this song is saying is there's a right way to live your life. There's a moral code that I don't have to tell you what it is. I'm just going to describe various aspects of things that you would do or wouldn't do if you followed it. And if you think about it fully and realize it fully and wholly, you'll know that it is what you are. And then when you're running with the crowd and you make bad mistakes because everybody was doing it, so you did it too. There's so many people, for instance, sitting in a prison cell that say, I really wish I would have never did that. And it wasn't me when I did it. They got caught up in something. And sometimes I know you think that's an excuse, and sometimes it is. But just as often, it's true. There's mistakes I made in my life especially as a young-ass man, a real young man, a kid that thought he was a man, you know, 19-year-old drunk Jack Spirico going over the Bridge of Americas uh, in Panama, across the, the Panama Canal in the back of a pickup truck, doing 120 miles an hour, drinking Jack Daniels, passing around, hanging onto a roll bar. I would have never, ever, ever said, hey, I have an idea. It just sort of happened because I was running with a bunch of other soldiers, doing what soldiers do when they're blowing off steam. And it just all kind of happened. If that truck had taken a swerve or hit something, I could have been killed. My buddies could have been killed. I would have been part of it. I would have been partially to blame for encouraging the behavior and being part of the behavior. If I ended up in a wheelchair for the rest of my life, I would have sat around and said, I wish I didn't do that. So many things like that. Don't run with the crowd. Don't run with the crowd. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Come all you young cowboys and listen to me. Don't waste your life on that old hanging tree And don't think that size ever makes a man small You'll find out it's nothing at all I'll Pay no attention when the old words are said And don't cheat in poker And don't lose your head Cause cowboys are human And bullets kill dead And six guns don't make a man tall Cause it's all so easy To run with the crowd And they're a dang good bunch of cowboys Makes a man feel proud. 
Do an honest day's work for the money you spend. Be fast with the ladies and slow with the men. Be kind to your horses and true to your friends. And treat every mother's son fair. Don't stay in town late on a Saturday night. And don't let no fool tease you into a fight. Cause when they're settled with guns, there ain't nobody right. It's a short trail that leads to nowhere. Cause it's all so easy. Cowboys makes a man feel proud. So don't run with the crowd.